Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. How's it going? How's How it going? It's going all right. Just getting my traditional podcast cigar. What do you think I should smoke? I don't know anything about cigars. I know. Please never buy me any. I would hate to offend you. It's a, it's a joke. By I have the way. a really you know horrible that? echo. You do? Give yeah. Me one second. No, wait. It went away. Still there? Yeah, it went away. Okay. Yeah, I I fiddled with my headset for a second. No. Rogue would like to join the conversation today. What, what does he have to contribute? Is he going to? He- Bark out Alex Jones is a douche nozzle? Um, yes. Okay. He's very stimulated by the conversation. That's that's good. Is he full on <laughs> red rocket action going right now? No, God. Why do you have to do that? Why? Hey, my parents raised me. Blame them. At this point, it's out of my hands. It was never in your hands, then. Yeah. And personal responsibility is a myth, and I'm entitled to other people's money. Yeah, I took issue with what you with that thing on Facebook. Which thing? When she said personal, like the, with the getting rid of everybody on the internet, what happened to personal responsibility? Mm-hmm. And my counter argument to that is what about the personal responsibility of the people who keep getting themselves banned? They still have it. What I disagree with you on is that they should be responsible for the actions of other people they don't directly command. You know? But you they kind of do. John's lieutenant is responsible for John's actions in this chain of command, and John is responsible for the actions of the corporals and privates underneath him. But that's not the way the world works. And sergeants underneath him. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you always got to take it back to the town square analogy. And you can be responsible for the actions of a mob. If mm-hmm. what you're doing is to whip up a mob and directing mm-hmm. it at whatever they're being directed at. And then I I will always go back to if Alex Jones is responsible for the violence at that pizza parlor, then members of Black Lives Matter are responsible for the riot in Milwaukee. If you're going up there and you're speaking and you're talking about how we need to get rid of these white cops, how we need to take care of these white cops, and people start shooting white cops, are those people not just as responsible by your line of thinking? I don't think I've ever disputed that. Okay. Because I don't think they are. Because the moment you start criminalizing heated rhetoric, that's when you get really close to censoring political speech. Heated rhetoric is... There is a line there. Mm -hmm. You want the line to be drawn very 
I want very, very, very narrow. I don't want the line to exist personally. I'm a speech anarchist. I'll freely admit it. Oh, so you're fine with what's his face putting stuff on the internet? Who's what's his face? No, we were talking about last week and what you wanted to talk about today. The code. Oh, Cody Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, I thought you said was... you disagreed with him last week. Hmm? Oh, I think that he is completely morally bankrupt and has absolutely no concern for the potential harm caused by his plans and his devices. Yeah. No, I, I don't see how I can say that and also acknowledge that he has a right to publish. You know, and he 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 may unfortunately live long enough, like the author of the Anarchist Cookbook, to not just regret his publication, but unsuccessfully sue to have the publication taken down. Yeah, I watched a documentary about that whole story. Yeah, I mean, because because Cody Wilson's our age, he's still young and stupid. Well, because... you wanted to talk about the history of code. Yeah. I want to hear. So, so I, I don't want to make it a, a pure lecture, but it, it was some interesting reading that I did. Um, first and foremost, the thing that surprised me most of all was there really hasn't been a computer code case in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, which intrigues me. Um, because you would, you would think that we have had modern computing, you know, computing as you and I would recognize it for 40 years, maybe 50, you know, going back to the early Apples and IBMs in, uh, okay. so, but the first real free speech case came out of the second circuit with a guy who was uh, marketing and distributing uh, a cryptographic software that would later form the the basis for BitTorrent. And um, what Bitcoin. Year was that? Uh, the the uh, 92 is when the case started. It was resolved at the Supreme Court in 96. Okay, that sounds about right. But but he had certainly been marketing and selling this software from the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. And they took him to court. Why? Well, they took him to court because at that time, and I, I said this in the Facebook chat, the State Department classified um, in, uh, IT security and cryptographic software as a munition, like ammunition like guns and rocket launchers. It, it was considered military, this kind of software that this guy was making. And that's really, one, what intrigued me, because we're, we're still in, by and large, pre-World Wide Web days. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. We're still in a time where unless you were very wealthy or you had a parent whose work demanded a computer that you didn't have a computer in your house. I mean, did, did your dad have a computer in the house when you grew up? No. My dad resisted even the thought of a word processor. His secretary was so happy when he finally caved <laughs> in the 90s. <clears throat> and I mean, for me, I'm old enough in my legal career that I started on typewriters because the legal forms you used to get in quadruplicate from the court had to be typed on. Like, that's how I got started. But no, I, I grew up with computers. If he was alive for <laughs> Lexis and Westlaw research, he might have killed me. <laughs> Like, he might have literally taken me outside and had a serious conversation with me about my future and what's mm -hmm. wrong with me that I can't just go to a library and learn <laughs> how to do it the right way. I guarantee you he was not, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was, in, yeah. Well, and, you know, for me, I grew up with a computer in my house because my dad did um, graphic design. And they were very quick to adopt that stuff. And he did a lot of freelance work. So in the 80s, my dad was, you know, using blue pencils and graph paper in the basement. And in the 90s, he was using, a, I want to say, the first computer he had for work in the house was like six grand on it in 1991. Oh. In 1991. Oh. Six grand was a lot of money in 1991. Yeah. So, and I used it to play Mech Warrior. He used it, you know, to buy me food. <laughs> I mean, I played Oregon Trail at school. Mm -hmm. You know, but so that's that's kind of the the thing <laughs> I'm getting to of it. You know, you and I get to cross the computer generational gap of. We are young enough to have essentially grown up with technology, but old enough to remember last century's technology of landline rotary phones. And did you I learn to type a typewriter like I did? Uh, no. Well, I mean, we had a typewriter, but I formally learned to type on a computer at school. Like well, typing no, class actually, where you learn how to type correctly. Well, th thinking about it, for, for us going to school, we weren't allowed to type until high school. Everything had to be handwritten because penmanship well, that was so was, Yeah, it was handwritten stuff that we turned in, but we had a class on computers where basically we just learned how to type mm -hmm. and navigate certain things, nothing, you know like what they have now. For, for all of the young whippersnappers listening today who didn't have a pacifier but had an iPhone 6 growing up. You know, these, these I mean, there's the a the middle ground times. there. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I still remember using AOL dial-up in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And using, I mean, a video on the internet would just be 
insane. All the a little, um, I'd say postage stamp size, but kids don't know what stamps look like. Um, a video the size of a picture on a Pokemon card is what you had. But that's even if you could get it to play, though, because the connection was so bad. Yeah, usually you had to spend um, an hour to download a three-minute video to play in your QuickTime. Oh, wow. I feel really old now. So, so pull me out of this. So, all right. I'll, so I'll pull you up. computer so, code... Computer software that was related to security, security and um, and uh, crypto security in particular. Basically, he was developing software to make computers undetectable on a network. He was he was sowing the seeds for the diffused and distributed type of computing that we're familiar with now. So, like. You know, as an example for you, um, Blizzard uses a BitTorrent network to um, to sell their games. So when you're downloading your latest patch for World of Warcraft or StarCraft, you're actually downloading a bunch of little bits of different files from a, everyone else who's logged into Battle.net. You're not just downloading a file from a server somewhere. So what this guy had set up was a way to basically hide information on a network by not having a complete file anywhere. And this kind of software was classified as a munition. And the reason why I, I like the parallels is because Cody Wilson is distributing information that are munitions, can to be turned into munitions. But back in 1992, the kinds of data security and uh, distribution networks we think are so commonplace were, were treated the same as a rocket launcher. And this, um, his name's Jim Bernstein, the rather new Electronic Freedom Foundation, the EFF, took up his case in, uh, I think it was the Second Circuit, and argued that computer code is speech that it's i mean it's written it you could in theory with just a, with programming language write out the works of shakespeare and he won and as far as i could tell the state department did not um appeal that i think by and large by the time it got to the the circuit court there, the new regulations on the internet were going up. And th those old regulations from the 80s and 90s were no longer valid. But it's the first case that said computer programming is speech. Okay. okay. That computer code is speech. Um, I'm really surprised they were able to figure that out that early. Mm -hmm. I mean, me too. But, you know, it's not like you and I back then were watching C-SPAN. You might have been. No, no. No. 
that's I was not. what that's what interested me because and that's been consistently found the sixth circuit has found that as well more recently in 2003 um when it came to uh more of a copyright related claim you know of basically if you rename a file that you pirate um that is not sufficient um fair use to overcome a copyright claim like some some pirate was trying to claim well i renamed the file it's my own art now yeah that reminds me of patent trolls with their ridiculous bs but you know it basically saying that um coded computer files be they images or software or whatever are afforded the same copyright protections as written speech in a book because even in 2003 i mean the the ipod was brand new then when did the first ipod come out i think the iphone was first um the iphone was not before the ipod oh okay i was thinking of uh the touch yeah that's Okay, 2001. Okay, so the iPod was brand new. Our phones, uh, I don't even think most phones had cameras then. No, God, no. So we were all on our notes. I mean, I had a beeper. I had a pager when I was like 15. I talked to my parents into buying me a pager. And that was back in the day when it was commonplace to say only doctors and drug dealers have pagers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I, I do remember that because the drug yep. dealers in my high school had beepers. <laughs> I was not a drug dealer, though. I just sure had a pager. Were. I really wasn't. And there's time for that. Too busy hot wiring cars. Mm-mm. But um, yeah, I so was lazy. Those are kind of the two big ones, and things have kind of been quiet. I think, due in large part to uh, the the laissez-faire regulations that were passed on the internet in the nineties, that, and also just the fact that tech makes up a huge portion of our economy that basically it's allowed to run around unfettered. Well, there is a potential, although I think a slight one, that Cody Wilson's case will make it to the U.S. Supreme Court as the first test of um does computer code constitute speech? Mm. And that and that interests me because, as you know, any restraint on speech from the government must pass strict scrutiny. And I don't know if it will pass strict scrutiny. So that's what interested me, is I, I fell down that rabbit hole of just 
free speech and computer code and the internet because as ubiquitous as the internet has become, it's still a very new area of the law. There's not a lot of cases. Certainly not as many as would cover, you know, protest and things like that. So, what do you think about that? Do you think computer code is speech? Uh, ah, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, shit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and you know, as I was saying about. But I think I, I mean it is it is speech, but the problem with computer code mm-hmm. is uh, okay. So here you could run into an issue. So images can mm-hmm. be nothing but computer code. Mm-hmm. An image of a juvenile child in a sexual position. Do you see the problem where I'm going with that? Well, you know, that is one of the rare kind of modern day cases that has made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. And they determined that simulated child pornography, at least, um, is protected speech because no child is harmed in the making of it. Yeah, but I don't know if I want to go in that direction because I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think that that's an obscure example because I think that as technology gets more robust, Mm -hmm. the most vile things in this world can be recreated via code. Mm-hmm. And I think if all that is remains protected, mm-hmm. then yeah, then you have a problem because, uh, you know, pedophilia is like an addiction, right? So if you have all of this simulated stuff that people have, that's available to them, you know, them making the leap to eventually actually harm a child is not hard to foresee. Well, and there's so some that's, psychological that's evidence for that, too, of the escalation, that it starts off with fantasy, then moves on to porn. Yeah, then... yeah and that's the problem I see, because I could see, like, digitally created snuff film, digitally mm-hmm. created, you know, like, horrific violence against others and then we desensitize and Mm -hmm. that becomes a norm because you can act out this stuff in the virtual world in a way that you couldn't you were limited from doing prior because you couldn't go that far because it would Mm -hmm. always have to involve somebody else so when you remove the somebody else's and then you protect that all as speech all of those mm-hmm. things are free to proliferate on the internet. And mm-hmm. um, that seems really dangerous to me. Well, and then you also get into the the barely legal issue. Like, did you ever see the remake of Lolita with Jeremy Irons? Mm-mm. You ever read Lolita? 
the Evgeny Nabokov novel? Mm-mm. Basically, Lolita is the story of a stepfather who... Yeah, I mean, I know the basic story, but no, I have no interest in seeing any shit like that. So the actress in the remake of Lolita did nude scenes, and he was 19 years old, but, you know, what the difference between a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old is not... Well, see, that's the problem, because we have to Mm -hmm. pick a line, and there actually is a cognitive, a very clear cognitive difference between a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old. No, I just mean physically speaking. Um, Physically doesn't have anything to do with the harm to the child. Oh, exactly. But cognitively, there's a difference between those two. No, just all. Here's my issue with just making it speech, and that's my issue with Cody's thing too, is that if you just lump that all into speech, it removes it from the context of the real world implications. Mm of what's being put out virtually because it's mm-hmm. not just speech. Mm-hmm. It's not just speech. And that's, that's the problem that I see because somebody saying to somebody else, this is how you make a gun is not the same thing as the direction being done by the computer and the computer making it for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's close, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. And it, well, I, and it the, seems to me that computer of... code is more of an action mm-hmm. in reality and in, in practice than it is speech. That's well, my what... concern with that because, well, you know, the, the action of creating mm-hmm. simulated pedophilia, okay, mm-hmm. is an action that can lead to a real or real world consequence. So I think if you just protect all computer code of speech, you're opening the door to a, a, a lot of very dangerous shit. Well, and the problem is the line. And the problem with the line is you have things like, um, and this is something that Scalia dissented in, when it came to the simulated child pornography case, um, may God rest his angry, bitter soul. But because oh. you know he's all about legal history, and he basically said he could find absolutely nothing wrong with the state looking to regulate pornography, that it was outlawed for publication in places at the time the constitution was framed that there were there was power among the the colonies states counties and territories to outlaw brothels and things like that that through the 19th century um, with movie houses and things like that cities like new york were able to outlaw um, the showing of pornographic movies and um, heliotropes. Sure. You know, the, okay, the I understand all of that. And so you're creating an exception to save us from the dangers of simulated child porn. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Except that we also regulated guns to some yeah. extent since the beginning too. My issue is with teaching, treating, teaching, treating 
computer code that creates an actual physical thing mm -hmm. as speech instead of a thing because it is a mm -hmm. thing. It's a thing. It's a thing mm -hmm. that we can regulate normally. So if you call computer code blanket computer code is speech, it, it separates the program from the outcome of the program. And I think that's a parsing that should not happen because that is that's a that's an artificial line. It doesn't actually exist. Well, it it gets to the line of you know again going back to porn. I don't know. I I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. I think Berger said that. Yeah, it's the greatest line ever. I love it. So you know, you get to a point where you don't have rules. You have judicial discretion on how the Constitution applies. Yeah, I just that, I don't think it should be considered speech because I don't think it I I don't. I don't think it's speech. I think it's a tangible object. Well, it's I mean, point. It's, it's computer code to instruct a 3D printer or a CNC machine to to mill out or create an object. Right. And I don't think you can divorce. I don't think you can make a blanket ruling that computer code is speech, which mm -hmm. divorces whatever that computer code is meant to do from mm -hmm. the outcome of running that computer code. I don't think that's accurate because then any, the most malicious hacking tools that could get into DOD would be speech. Mm -hmm. It may be illegal to use them, mm -hmm. but the code itself would be protected as speech. And that doesn't make mm -hmm. a lot of sense to me on a functional level. Yeah. Well, in that, you know, Again, this is still virgin territory for First Amendment law. Because again, most of the First Amendment was focused on press under Nixon. Oh my God, did he love to sue the press? I mean, I I give people crap for, you know, I give I, I gave Obama crap, rightly so, I think. But my God, Nixon had a had a beef with the press. I think his beef with Fox News was kind of fair, personally, because they did kind of try to paint him as, you know, a terrorist and a Muslim. Mm -hmm. but, so personally, um, I understand that level, but I will also say when he tried to limit their exposure and ban them, um, mm -hmm. the rest of the press corps revolted on him, and rightly mm -hmm. so. And they said no, and he stopped. And he also still gave interviews to them, even Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. So I don't oh, think Obama Barack is a Obama, really good example. With rapists. I mean, I didn't see George Bush on life. more friendly, on less friendly news outlets frequently. Yeah. He was too busy. That was in my his biggest ranch. issue. Well, that was my biggest issue with Trump with the media in the beginning was like he's so transparent. He's so accessible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, to wait, the people who like that. him. Let me be fair. Let me be fair here. Mm -hmm. They didn't say he was so transparent. I put that in there. They but said he was, he so was very accessible. Mm -hmm. Accessible was the word mm -hmm. that they used. But mm -hmm. general public is going to take accessible as transparent. 
And they, they have to understand that people would understand it that way. Except all he ever did was lie. Mm-hmm. So that's he's, not he's honest true. about being a liar, though. Right, but that's not accessibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, I can't even tell you how many, <laughs> they're not liberals, but on CNN, for example, uh, who he hates, you know, mm-hmm. would talk all the time about how he was so much more accessible and it would drive me up the frickin' wall. Mm-hmm. So much more accessible than Obama's administration. No, mm-hmm. it isn't. Obama's administration limited what you could ask and when you could ask it. That's true. He was not Mm -hmm. showing up for impromptu crap all the time. But when he showed up, he answered your questions and he told the truth. Mm -hmm. It may not have been the whole truth. No president tells the whole truth. It may not have been, you know, uh, as freewheeling. I mean, they just really enjoyed that freewheeling thing in the beginning, and we're talking about it all the time. And I was like, but that's, it's fake. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is fake. Anyway, sorry, I just had to say that. It was irritating me. Fine. So, back to Cody Wilson. I do not entirely disagree with you. My problem always lies in where do we draw the line? As with um, the difference between, uh, in the past, protected artistic expression and pornography, of what truly separates Playboy from the Venus de Milo, for example. So we get into with Cody Wilson, and I think, I, honestly, I, I think that the way the Supreme Court has been moving on speech and the way legal thought has been moving on speech is Supreme Court's probably going to say if it gets that far um, that um, computer code is speech um, because Scalia is dead. Um, He he was the, the resident pedant of the Supreme Court, you know, famously who Famously, who said uh, that the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers regulation of wetlands as waterways is ridiculous because how can you have wetland? Um, so with with him gone, I mean, there may be dissenters from the liberal bloc because it does involve guns. I think probably Ginsburg. Um, yeah, I'm thinking you're looking at six to three, five to four, saying that it is protected speech. And I think it's going to be a decision that they're going to have to revise later, if that's the case, when more the consequences of that come out. And I don't think Ginsburg would disagree with it just because it's guns. I think she would disagree with it because I think she's pretty good at seeing inevitable outcomes of things. Either well, that or she has some very good clerks. Well, and that too, again, we get to how, how technology changes things. Like when I started off talking, I mean, certain types of computer code was regulated like, you know, arms of war. Well, my wife's going to meet her friend and she's wearing one of my shirts. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like wrong with that. Shirts? 
Well, I can't wear his shirts now without stretching out the midsection. Oh, okay. Because, you know, there's like a zucchini in my midsection. Oh, that that's the size of the little guy? My uh, my nephew-to-be is now the size of a head of lettuce, I found out. How many weeks? Um, She's due mid-October. Yeah, so she's like a month ahead of me. Yeah. But um, yeah, zucchinis aren't necessarily tiny. Well, that that's that's my problem. Is you know most produce can can vary in size. Well, this is a big zucchini. <laughs> if saying. you want to fancy it up, you could say that he is a courgette. <sighs> He's a what? Courgette. That is the French for zucchini. Courgette. Oh, well, you know. I don't know. We don't need to be that fancy. I I do find that to be the whole subject to be super interesting, though. I mean, I do. My affect is really flat today, but that is really interesting. And you have to think about it because, yeah, uh, you have to think about it because it's not as simple. It's not likening a computer code to directions written down on a piece of paper is not, that's not accurate. Well, and I tried to do some digging on any, again, the, the only stuff I could find when it came to punch card technology was copyright because um punch when card? it came to, yeah you know punch card technology for computers so um it used to be back in before the creation of the transistor and the microchip that uh, information was stored on punch cards when computing was done more mechanically and the punch card was it looked like a piece of Braille or, no, the, the better one is, uh, have you ever seen one of those auto-playing tin pianos? Yeah. You know, there's little holes Yeah, I, I can, I can, yeah, I get what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. So those were originally used in the textile industry to move the needle, to mechanically move the needle. So those punch cards were part of copyright because it was uh, with textile patterns. And there were people stealing and copying punch cards um, from rival manufacturers up and down the East Coast, and you know where all the 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 weaving was being done in the 19th century. So, mm-hmm. and but again, there was no free speech concern. It was always about copyright. It wasn't is a punch card speech. So. Yeah, I just think I I just have oh I just have a lot of I, I, I mean, I good exactly lord, the national saying. security implications of making it speech are mm-hmm. horrifically dangerous, mm-hmm. and that that that's why I don't think. You know, if even if they do rule it speech, um, I'm pretty sure it's not going to last too long. Well, because you also get 
get down to the, again, like you said, of it's computer code to create a thing. And often, yeah, but instructions code... on paper is still instructions to create a thing. And you still have to get materials. So, in that way, those two things are very similar. But my. But my distinction with those two, oh God, yeah, I mean, it's super hard to parse, is that the steps involved in those two, if they're just, they're just not the same. Well, and we also just get to also the, the rapidity and the scale of modern technology. So the thing I keep coming back to is you know, divorcing ourselves from the Liberator pistol, which um, there are plans for a Liberator made out of 100% plastic parts that you can get from Cody Wilson. But, you know, when it comes to the, the Colt 45s and the Glocks and the AR-15 lowers, you can get that info from the patent office, too. But what the 3D printer and his aptly named Ghost Gunner milling machine allows you to do is to make those parts from blanks that you can buy on the internet. And you don't need any specialized machines. You don't need a $5,000 milling machine, a $1,000 drill press, or very expensive drill bits for cutting through steel and aluminum. But you can get this $3,000 machine to automatically do it for you. So you, the gatekeeping isn't even the time needed to learn how to do it. I mean, people, you know, to, to learn how to be a gunsmith takes a year of education and five years of apprenticeship. He's something <laughs> on his website that with some computer code, anyone can make a finished AR receiver or Glock receiver. Yeah, I think that's that's the problem. And so, someone's going to have to draw that line between instruction that requires skill and automation. Well, and the other thing I will say, as as someone who has put together a few. AR-15s, and as someone who has completely disassembled and reassembled every gun he owns, you also need a hell of a lot of patience, because there's a lot of teeny tiny things in a gun that can get lost. <laughs> and springs that can go flying across the room. Yeah, but, because, I mean, yeah. just viscerally, like, there is, a, I mean, just without even being able to put your finger on it exactly. There is a difference between directions on how to, written directions in a book on how to build a gun mm -hmm. and a computer code that does all that for you. Yeah. Even if both require you to go get materials. Mm -hmm. There's still... There's still, I mean, it's 
it's very hard to articulate that. And I think it would take a lot of time and a lot of effort to adequately articulate it. But well, I, I think it comes yeah. down to the, the fact that you're automating it of that you don't, that you can literally buy your way to manufacturing a fairly sophisticated mechanical device that where once, you know, just to learn the basic maintenance on some of these things, um, you would have to go through a year of study and years of training to, to learn how to do some of these things. Or even people on the assembly line, it would take months for you to learn how to assemble a, a rifle or a shotgun that you just download something and it's like, you know, heating a TV dinner. It's all done for you. Yeah, that part is scary. That well, kind of the, power, is... you shouldn't have that kind of power without having to work to get it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. But responsibility well, with... is not learned by, you know, being able to crib off of other people's work. Mm-hmm. But, and and that's kind of the corollary to other things of you know, we may reach a point where you can you know like I said you can 3D print a motorcycle like you 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 buy your you buy your plans online you buy whatever filaments are necessary for the home printer in your garage and there you go you have a Ducati motorcycle in a week. I mean, that's the other side of it too. There's guns, but how cool would it be if you could say, you know what, I really want to have a Mustang. I'm going to go buy the plans for a Mustang and the materials I need for it and have a printer make me a Mustang. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what worries me though. Of about technology to... in the first place. Mm-hmm. Of making it easier to do things that used to be very complex and t- costly. Yes. I, I, I'm not on board with that not being a... I'm not on board with that completely. I think that might be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and that stuff that... I mean, look of... what Cornell... What is it? Cornell Law has done to Facebook conversations about legal issues. What have they Everyone's done? a lawyer. Oh. Because oh, all the statutes talking... are online, so everybody just goes and pulls whatever statute and says, well, here's this proves my point. I did Didn't my research. Stop... Here's your evidence. Didn't they stop updating that in like 2005 or something? It doesn't else? make people stop using it. <laughs> okay, I'm just... I'm just saying, as I recall, it, it hasn't been updated in about 10 years or so. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, it's just it's just an example of the issue that I'm talking about, though, where, where people think because they have accessibility, people already behave as if because they have accessibility of this technology and all of this access to information that they never had before, that they are all of the sudden experts in 
whatever field they want to think they're experts in. The same is true for anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a part of my point with um, with like Alex Jones is are all of the anti-vax and flat earthers going to be driven off of YouTube next? God, I freaking hope so. <laughs> that would you be know, lovely. I by the time we get rid of everything controversial on YouTube, we'll just be back to pirated movies and cat videos, which is kind I'm of fine. the way I want it to be again. I mean, I'm really fine. I'm fine with that. I have no, I have no problems with that whatsoever. I'm fine with going back to that. To to a better time. Yeah. Did you watch Did you watch the election results? Um, for Michigan. Well, in general, that night, did you see what happened? No, I didn't. So, did you see what's going on with Chris Kobach? No, literally, all I did was I was checking. I I checked M Live about ten o'clock. And all the polls hadn't been uh, reported in yet, so I I checked them live before I went to bed at eleven when everything was reported in. So no, I didn't watch okay. the live stuff. I didn't watch the live feed on Facebook or YouTube. So Chris Kovac is currently ahead of the incumbent governor. Oh, in Ohio, Kansas. Okay. Oh, Kansas. Um. Chris Kobach was the one who headed the voter fraud panel mm-hmm. and is a huge Trumper. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Trump was asked to please not back Kobach because they have an incumbent governor, <laughs> mm-hmm. which he did ignore and didn't give a shit and did it anyway. And now... Chris Kovac is in, you know, whatever, dead, almost a dead heat with this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is the Secretary of State, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's not recusing himself from the election. Mm-hmm. Look, which is a little bit. Him in or something? No, he was running. Okay. For governor, right? He ran. Yeah, he ran. But there is very possibly going to be a statement, you know, a mandated recount or someone's going to, I mean, sorry, there's no mandated recount there. But there is going to be some kind of recount and there is still counting going on. And there were some votes that were, quote unquote, missing that they have now found, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. found. Um, And as Secretary of State and the outcome of the election affects him, he should be recusing himself from oh, anything having to do with that election. Yeah. Yes, but mm-hmm. he is not. Mm-hmm. So there is that. That was interesting. Um, Bernie's people lost, again, yep. for the, the most part. Do I owe you five great. bucks for saying the Michigan Democratic Party is now the Michigan Bernie Party? Do I owe you dinner next time you're in town? I mean... It's, it's thirty to fifty-two. Yeah, I mean he he got trounced. It's but you know I mean, unsurprisingly they're still being extremely. You know whenever a Democrat loses, they talk about how we need to 
we need to take a time out and learn from our mistakes, why we lost, and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But when they lose, mm-hmm. it's rigged. it was rigged. She spent more money, mm-hmm. yada, 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 except she didn't spend more money. They spent, they spent exactly the same amount of money. And then someone mm-hmm. tried to say to me on Twitter hilariously, that hers was corporate money, and I was like, how does that have anything to do with how much they spent per vote? Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with that. But anyway, yeah, he got Trump, and of course he got Trump, so I didn't expect anything different. And Ohio was just jaw-dropping. It was mm-hmm. just jaw-dropping. Why did it drop and we, your jaw? Because there's no reason a Democrat should have done that well. <clears throat> Literally none. Mm-hmm. That should not have happened, and it's not even called yet. Mm-hmm. This is the special election to fill the House seat, right? Yes. Okay. So in a district that has been blood red since 1940... Mm-hmm. Why is a Democrat coming within, you know, twelve, thirteen hundred votes of a Republican? Well, I can say, you know, partly one, um, there tends to be more registered Democrats than Republicans, and for the most part, it's only the party affiliated that vote in primaries. So that's one even in states with open primaries, and I don't know if Ohio does. Um, yeah, but this isn't a primary. This was a special election. But it was during the Ohio primary is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because um, we, we had one here to fill um, Conyers' seat for the next few months. They had um, pretty good turnout, though. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it that still doesn't the... answer how a very, very red district all of a sudden is considering a Democrat. I think That's... that particularly up north here, um, you know, as much as Trump did, in fact, win um, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, places like that, um, and as much as I will say till I am blue in the face that this is now the party of Donald Trump, this is no longer the party of Ronald Reagan. This is no longer the party of uh, George Bush or Eisenhower, that we are, you know, the, the Republican Party is, is the party of Trump as far as I'm concerned, because he, he also, we'll see how things turn out in Ohio, but the people he endorsed did very well in their primaries. Bill Schuette won his primary. So, he endorsed yeah. people that everybody already knew were going to win their primaries. Come on. Nobody, nobody on God's green earth thought Bill Schuette wasn't going to win that primary. Yeah. I, I don't like that. Okay, so Justice Sims and our revolution mm-hmm. do that, right? So they pick a slew of candidates that are like, you know, really unpopular in primarying very popular Democrats, right? But they also make sure that they pick 
a good number of people who are either running unopposed or mm-hmm. who are just Democrats normally that they say they agree with. And so when they get their asses handed to them with their ultra-progressive candidates, mm-hmm. they still say it wasn't a huge loss because, look, we picked up all of these seats. But they didn't really pick anything up. They just backed a horse that was already going to win. You're just saying I, they I, bet I consider on that the same thing with idea. Trump. Huh? They bet on Jordan and said, aren't I a genius? Yeah, and I think the same thing's true with Trump. I don't think that Trump's Trump's endorsement of Shooty and some of these other people that he endorsed in the primaries the other day, I don't think they were. It was in any way decisive. It probably didn't matter at all. Yeah. <clears throat> but when he tries to throw his backing behind somebody who's less popular, they lose because. In the end, his his endorsement doesn't really matter. I mean, I think that's true. I think it's, you know, the Republicans are trying to make it sound like what happens in these special elections, Connor Lambs win, Doug Jones win, you know, these, mm-hmm. these blue wins in very red areas are not indicative of where the country is moving towards since Trump was elected. I just don't think that that's true. I think that that, that John Ossoff, I mean, his performance in in his um, special election was was phenomenal. And that was nothing compared to what happened in Ohio. I mean, what did Ossoff ended like 42 to like 50-something? Like he should not have been within, it was like eight points or something like that. And it should not have been eight points. It was like a plus 20 red district or something like that. I'm pulling that shit out of my head. But mm-hmm. it was, he came well, he came well, he overperformed in that special election by a lot. Mm-hmm. And then what we had la- you know, the other night in Ohio was just astounding. And I don't think it can be all put off on it was a special election, it was the primary, you know, the base is just not energized right now. I, I don't think no, I, that I that's think that there are the right answer. A lot of Republicans, particularly in the North and in the Midwest, who are not happy with Trump on trade and are not happy with Trump as a person. And, you know, like, like I said on the phone this week is a lot of, you know, the people I know uh, tend to vote for parity. Uh, they vote to, you know, as far as it goes in Washington or even in their, their state, whenever possible, is they vote for people who will stand up to the majority, who will stand up to the other branches and to get that done, if you want a Congress or a Senate that is going to hold up to Trump, you, you want more Democrats. Good. I think it's going to be really bad for them in November. I really do. I, I think the House is going to be a big problem. I don't think there's going to be much wing 
in the Senate because there's more vulnerable Democrats than Republicans in this. I think that's true, but I also think that if the Democrats take the House, Senate Republicans, by and large, with the exception of a few cuckoo people, um, they're really going to have to start doing something. They're not going to be able to continue this obstruction support of Trump and refusal to investigate and refusal to really take a look at the issues that are going on. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that anymore. Well, and I I think that the best thing that will happen with that is um, less to do with Trump and more to do with some of these things that everyone seems to agree on, but that aren't getting passed because of ideological things might finally get resolved. Like, Descheduling marijuana, like uh, a DACA. Yeah, I was going to say like a, a DACA law, something like that. I think, yeah, I think that's right. But I also think if Mueller's report is bad enough, and the House moves to impeach, and they do impeach, I, I don't think the Republicans in the Senate are going to have a leg to stand on. And I well, think they're going to know I, that. I think I think they will are... remove him from office if mm-hmm. they're forced to. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, um, he he has since passed, but um, you know, Fred Thompson has said that you know, despite Republican control, um, impeachment of Nixon was a sure thing, which is why he resigned. Mm-hmm. Fred Fred Thompson at the time worked in the White House counsel's office and, you know, basically told Nixon, look, they're going to impeach you. You might as well resign. That was Fred Thompson's role in the Nixon White House. Um, Ultimately. Um, So, I mean, a, a president found to have done something bad enough. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that it will be a hard thing because two things. One, one sorry. For, for all the bad things, one, you might impute to Republicans on ideological lines. I don't think you believe Ted Cruz, for example, is an evil person who cares about the you Republican picked the wrong. Party. You picked the <laughs> wrong example. I understand. There are many Republicans killer. in the Senate who I think have integrity. Okay. Would would Rand Paul extent. be better for you? No, absolutely not. <laughs> you pick the two worst ones. I said the ones that aren't cuckoo. Um, Senator Mitt Romney. That's probably going to happen. Yeah. Yes. Senator so, Mitt Romney. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I think there are enough people in there who care about the republic <laughs> above all else to do vote for impeachment. Yeah, I mean, do you genuinely think that that Ted Cruz cares about the republic above all else? Because I really don't. I I think he cares about... Ted Cruz about, cares about Ted Cruz. He does. But... His daughter doesn't even like him. <laughs> I mean, Ronald and Reagan Jr. put Junior that in a campaign is... commercial. <laughs> oh, like where she, Ronald she Reagan, ghosted Ronald, him on a kiss or something? Yeah. 
yeah, it was weird. Ronald Reagan Jr. is a liberal, but Ronald Reagan Jr. loved his dad. Yes. I Ted Cruz is sleazy to me, like the kind of person who does not understand that other people exist autonomously from him. Well, he he is the Zodiac killer too. Let's not forget that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting into the conspiracy theories here, but he, I I mean, he really strikes me as so self-absorbed mm-hmm. that he, you know, cannot even conceive of a person having autonomy apart yeah. from it's like he's a baby that never learned object permanence <laughs> i mean like the minute we leave the room we stop existing mm-hmm. right um so he's a bad example i think he did that on purpose but i, I, I think now if Mueller, <laughs> i think marco rubio is a lot smarter and has a, a I don't say a lot, but it has significantly more, more integrity. Huh? More character. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I, I think he's bad at the game of politics sometimes, too. I think he just, mm-hmm. he's just so dumb sometimes. But I think if Mueller's report were to come out now, and even if it was, like, dire and ugly and horrible and... I don't know, Trump killed a hooker. Like, I think even if all that came out right now, uh, it wouldn't matter. The House would Mm -hmm. do nothing. Mm -hmm. But I think if Democrats get control of the House, I think that's going to change. Perhaps. And, I mean, the, the other thing, again, going along with investigations, there's a good chance that just like Whitewater, it won't be resolved until term two. Hmm. Okay. And now I'm that, that's the thing I've genuinely been thinking about. Of <laughs> if this investigation carries through 2020 and 2021 and there's no President Trump, do we still have an investigation? God, I hope so, because I want to see Trump go to prison. <sighs> Maybe he pardons himself as his last official act. I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that. I don't even think, I literally do not even think that the Supreme Court would let that happen. I really don't. I don't think maybe I'm any maybe I'm hoping restraint. against hope. Uh, I think that if you read the context of the entire Constitution and the concerns about self-dealing in the presidency, I think you can come up with a pretty good legal argument that it's implicit in the pardon power that they cannot pardon themselves. Maybe. Yeah, I think that you can make that argument, and I think that argument would work. Because I think that if I were a Supreme Court justice looking at that, it would be understanding that issue within the whole Constitution. But it would also be what is the best thing for the for the country. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that allowing a president to commit crimes, to win an election, and then pardon himself from said crimes 
is in the interest of the republic. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Well, and again, for all the horrible things... We might as well have a dictator at that point. For all the horrible things you say about Nick, he didn't try to pardon himself. (laughs) Mm. Agreed. I mean, there were certain aspects of Nixon's presidency that were not bad. He was a horrible person, but he was, you know, I mean, there were some things that he did that were good. I get that. Trump is not Nixon. Trump is not Nixon. Nixon was smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, genius. Nixon Probably was the... smart and Nixon actually cared about his country. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds weird for me to say that, but that's true. He actually cared about the country and he was actually a very intelligent man and he wasn't in an, he was shady, but he mm-hmm. wasn't completely devoid of all humanity. Trump is. All of those things. Nixon, you know, at the very least, the quintessential thing you could say is he he was a person who did very bad things and a person who did very good things. Yeah, I can't really think of very many good things Trump has done. Ever. Don't ask me. He didn't even write the art of the deal. He doesn't do anything for himself. Well, he does everything for himself. Here's the last thing I, I wanted to close on. Asbestos. Oh, God. Can we save that for next week? Because I'm so hungry. Sure. All right. Go have some And I need and to cream. read more about asbestos. No, we're having chili. Ooh. Chili. Mm-hmm. I heard we're having well, chili. I, I already had dinner. It was lovely talking with you. We have some interesting First Amendment things going on. And I will yeah, say, I, that's a hard that, question. Well, and I'll say, I, I do not disagree with your hesitancy and your problems. Do not, you know, I am not dismissing you outright because we are, especially in the information age, we are really blurring the lines between speech and technology. See, now you make me want to write a law review article about it. <sighs> you're, you're too old to write law review articles. I could totally do it. <laughs> and take my maternity <laughs> leave as a sabbatical and write a law review article and become famous. Mm-hmm. No. God, maybe it'll get quoted. <laughs> Dude, I'd frame that shit. I totally would. You know I would. The, the portion of Alito's dissent that references your law review article. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, poor Chris was left out because for some reason he didn't see the email. FYI. What a dick. I hate him. I. I didn't do it. He's dead to me. Oh, shut up. I didn't I say he was... A, you're the one who said he was... I said poor Chris. <laughs> I like Chris. Now, Chris is our Bernie balance. He is. He's He is our, he is our resident social... 
socialist comic. Yeah, I mean, he's he's <laughs> he's very necessary. Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's close with that because you just, I mean, you made me think too much in the last hour, and now I'm tired. <laughs> you need to go lay down and recover from all the thinking. <laughs> I do. Because it's at the end of a work day, so I've already been thinking a lot, and then we get on here, and then you just, it just, it's a really hard question once you get into it, and then I'm like, ow, brain hurts. Damn. Oh, my thinky parts hurt. My thinky parts hurt, yeah. All right, well, I'll talk to you later. I will. Bye, Julia. Absolutely. Bye.